If you're visiting here with us today, we just started a new sermon series last week called Hold Fast to Jesus. It is a sermon series focused on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. And Paul repeats himself along these lines over and over again throughout the letter. Hold fast. Keep on doing the things that you have learned. Continue. Stand firm. He says it in many different ways, but the message is clear. Hold fast to Jesus. And Paul is not speaking in abstract ways. This is very personal for him because he's writing this letter from prison. And he tells them, no matter what happens to you, regardless of the circumstances, hold fast to Jesus. So last week we concluded from chapter 1 this, this truth. We don't want our circumstances to distract us from Jesus. Instead, we want Jesus to change the way we view our circumstances. We see that in the life of Paul, and Paul wants that for us. We don't want our life situation to be the lens by which we look at Jesus. We want Jesus to change the way we view our situation. So that was that was chapter 1 of Philippians. That's just a little bit of, re of review, just in case you forgot. And this week we're focusing on chapter 2 of Philippians. And Paul starts this chapter right off with a call for unity. He says... In verse 2, make my joy complete, and then he's, he calls for unity in four different ways, but it's the same purpose, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Okay, so this is a call for unity. Then he tells them what to avoid. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, and then he tells them what to proactively pursue. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your interests but to the interests of others. Now, if you grew up in church, the commands to be humble that you read throughout Scripture will not sound surprising to you. This is Christianity 101. You've heard this before. But at the time, that call to humility was a radical message. Remember, we were talking about the Roman Empire and the Roman culture, and they are the recipients of this letter. The Roman culture saw humility weakness. A Roman man who heard these words from Paul would say, humility is for women and slaves, not for men like me. So you've got you've to realize that our culture is so influenced by Christianity that we just take humility as a virtue for granted. But at that time, it was the last thing that people in higher up society would want to pursue. The Roman Empire was based on slavery and exploitation. Paul is being very controversial here. And so he can't appeal to Roman culture to say you should be humble because no one in Roman culture valued humility. Instead, what he does, and there's no surprises here if you've read Paul before, he appeals to Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as who? Let's say it together. Christ Jesus. He is the example. Now, before we get into the rest of the passage, we are going to talk about all of chapter 2. But before we get into that, I just want us to notice what Paul is doing here. He doesn't just list off a bunch of commands and just say, take my word for it. I'm right. He doesn't do that. Whenever he gives a virtue to, to, to appeal to or to aspire to, he always goes back to Jesus. He reviews Jesus' life and teachings. 
And that's what he does right here. And I think this is so important because as Christians, I think we're often tempted, we don't always succumb to it, but we're often tempted to pursue admirable Christian goals apart from knowing Jesus. Okay, let me give you a few examples here. Let me, let me show you what I mean. I think a lot of Christians want good, faithful, lifelong marriages. But we don't often think about how the life of Jesus could help us be better husbands and wives. I think a lot of Christians who have kids want to raise our sons and daughters to be mature Christians one day. But we don't often think about how the life of Jesus would help us be a father or mother. I think we want to have loyal long-lasting friendships, but we don't often look to Jesus as an example of an amazing friend to his apostles. I think basically what happens is we get on with living our lives, our, our day in and day out, without going back and rereading the Gospels to see what, what Jesus actually does and actually says. But Paul doesn't view things that way. He always goes back to the example of Jesus. Now, here's my question. Did Mike go out? Awesome. Perfect. I'm going to go grab a mic that's right over there, because I think Jesus would want you all to hear what he's talking about. Does this work better? Yeah. Okay. I'm a loud person, so I just assume I'm loud all the time. So it's, I'm glad I can actually have a microphone. Okay. So if you have a, a Bible with you, get that out. If you have a, an app on your phone, you can get out your phones. Don't check your email. Don't check your text. Just look at the Bible app. If you have it on there, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 6. And if you don't have any of those methods, we'll have the, verse, the verses on the screen. Okay? I think Paul gives one of my favorite summaries of the whole story of Jesus, starting in chapter 6. This is how Paul describes Jesus. Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is already focusing on the humility of Jesus. And this makes Jesus different than all the Roman gods that, that this culture once believed in. Right? The pagan gods, if you read about those stories, they're all about themselves. They always use their power to the, their own advantage. They're always exploiting others. But Jesus lays down his life. He humbles himself and he's even obedient to death. Death on a cross. Now, I think a lot of us, if we grew up in church, have kind of become accustomed to the idea of a cross. We have crosses on our walls, in our home. Maybe we have jewelry and we wear a, a cross around our necks. And I think that's good. But sometimes it, it makes us forget how despised the, the crucifixions were in the first century. There's this uh, theologian named Robert Barron who writes this. He says, the cross was something unspeakable. It was the most miserable instrument of torture devised by cruel people. The last thing you would ever consider boasting about would be a crucifixion. So Paul is celebrating something that, again, would be so controversial at the time. God humbled himself from heaven to humanity, but he didn't even stop there. He became a servant 
And he didn't even stop there. He was treated like the scum of the earth, and he died in the worst way imaginable at the time. That's how humble Jesus is. That's how incredible he is. And that is the basis for our humility. Again, Paul doesn't say, look around. Everybody in the Roman culture values humility. No, no, no. He says divine humility is the basis for Christian humility. We see that Jesus shows this incredible virtue, and that means we need to pursue it too. And I love what he says. He doesn't say, okay, now guys, I know you've never heard of humility from me before, so try it on for the first time in your lives. He just says to continue to do it. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. It's just another phrase for humility, reverence to God, for it is him who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He goes on in verse 14 to say, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like, you will shine among them like stars. Okay, I want to pause here to show you the whole trajectory of Jesus's life and see how Christians follow that trajectory. All right, Jesus is in very nature God. He descends all the way to the depths of pain and suffering. And what happens to him? We know that he is exalted, right? We, we see this trajectory in his life, right? Paul says uh, all the way back in, um, uh, sorry, let me get up the verse here. It says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So we see this is the trajectory of Jesus's life, right? Descent and then ascent. Humiliation and then exaltation. And what does Paul say for these Christians? If you show humility, if you value others above yourselves, guess what's going to happen to you? You will shine among this generation like stars. This is the pathway that Jesus has laid before us. And I think that this is so consistent with what Jesus himself taught in his life. He said the first will be last, and the last will be first, right? He said the greatest among you will be your servant, right? This is the trajectory that Jesus leads in his life. He descends from heaven to us, and then he's exalted. And he says if you humble yourself, God will lift you up. Y'all tracking with me? This is the pathway of Jesus, and it's the pathway for every Christian. And so I think what Paul is getting at here is that if we want to hold fast to Jesus, if we want to focus our attention on him, if we don't want to get distracted by things that are happening in life, I think what he's saying is we have to imitate him. If we want to hold fast to Jesus, we have to imitate him. It's not strong. It's not enough to just have strong feelings for Jesus. It's not enough to hold certain ideas about Jesus. In order to hold fast to him, we have to apprentice under him. We have to view him as the master of our lives. He's not just our savior. He's a model to copy. And I love what Paul does in the, the last section of chapter 2. He gives us 
he gives the Philippian Christians models of humility named Timothy and Epaphroditus. So we didn't read about them uh, yet, but I want us to, to make sure we read about them. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, but not those of Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus is humble. They need to be humble. And guess who Paul is sending? A humble Timothy. He goes on. He says, I'm going to send you another example of humility, Epaphroditus. I think it's necessary to send a worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. And if you skip down to verse 29, Paul says, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Okay, let's pause here for a second. There's a lot going on in this one chapter, so I want us to make sure we don't get distracted from it. He starts with a call to unity, right? I want y'all to be like-minded, one in spirit, one in mind. And he says the way to do that is to be humble. All right? Then he gives the example of Christ's own humility. The one true God came down from heaven to us. That's the, the basis of humility in our lives. But then he goes one step further. I can actually show you people that you know, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, who show Christian humility. He's just giving them an example after example after example for them to copy. So I know that if you've been here for the past couple of years since I've been the preacher here, I'm sure you've gotten tired of how many stories of saints I've told. I love telling about these people from the 7th century and the 12th century who lived these amazing lives. I love quoting them. They're so much smarter than me. I can never be as smart as them. I love, I just, they're great sermon material for me, okay? Here's why I quote them. Because of this passage right here. Paul does this. He gives examples of wonderful Christians who have imitated Jesus. And he holds them out and he says, you should be like these people. And my bet is that in whatever church you've grown up in or been a part of, I bet there have been local saints that people have held up and said, these are our mentors. These are our guides. Insofar as they follow Jesus, we're going to be like them. I bet y'all can think of some right here, like Alina Sloan. Some of y'all know Alina, you're nodding along, right? You knew that she was, an, she was an example of Jesus in our midst. That doesn't mean she was perfect. It means when she imitates Jesus, you want to be just like Alina, right? Dan Watson is another example, a, a local saint here at this church. And insofar as he follows Jesus, I want to be like Dan. Paul even says this in his letters. He says, you are to imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I remember the first time I read that inscription, I thought, well, that sounds pretty arrogant, Paul. I wouldn't recommend saying that to other people. What if they, you know, what if they know about all of your sins? But I think he's saying, anytime I act like Jesus, anytime I copy Jesus, copy that part of me. Don't copy the sin. Don't copy the weakness. Don't copy my bad habits. Copy me insofar as I'm a copy of Jesus. This past week, I got to visit Annalie Danielowski in the hospital. You know that uh, she's been having a rough go of it, but I visited her and she was doing so amazing. 
Uh, she's doing great, and she's already, she's like, I don't need to be in the hospital anymore. I want to go home. Um, she's, she's amazing. And calls me every single day. No exceptions. Just as Joyce imitates Christ, we need to imitate Joyce. She's going to be so upset with me that I'm telling this story right now. She's going to beat me up later. Jesus is so good because not only does he hold up his own life as an example, as the, as the ultimate example for all of us, he holds up other people and says, imitate them. They're just like me. I've made them just like me. This is how good Jesus is for us. Just like Paul holding up Timothy and Epaphroditus, just like these local saints here at this church, we imitate Christ because we want to hold fast to him. We don't want to get distracted by things going on in our life. We don't want to lose attention and our focus on him. We want to keep our focus on him at all times. Now, I want to be clear here. Imitating Jesus does not mean we become his carbon copies. Okay? And I want to be clear about what I mean. So I don't want to be confused at all. Jesus of Nazareth was a celibate, impoverished Jewish man. Okay, these are just four true things about him. We do not all need to be celibate, Jewish, impoverished men. Okay? Now, some Christians are Jews. Some Christians take vows of poverty and celibacy, and those things are great. What imitating Jesus means is having his mindset in our relationships. Are you all tracking with me? Paul says, I want you to have your, his mindset in your relationships with others. So there's, there's not a one-to-one -one relation. We have to think more deeply about this. How can I have the mindset of Jesus in 2022 as Mid-East? Well, that's a lot, that question is a lot harder. I've got to think through more questions. Now, I don't know if any of y'all grew up with this. I grew up with WWJD. Did any of y'all grow up with this? You can raise your hand. What would Jesus do, right? I grew up with the wristbands and everything. I'm not making fun of it. I loved it, okay? But I want to, I want to add questions to that question, okay? I, I want to get more detailed uh, about, about that question because I think it's so important. First of all, I think we need to start with what did Jesus do? Y'all, we've got four Gospels and a lot of books in the New Testament. We actually know what Jesus did. We know what he said. We know who he was and is. Okay? So whenever we're trying to figure out how do I imitate Jesus in my life right now, you've got to start with what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? Then we want to ask, who do I know in my life right now who already acts like Jesus? So I can imitate them. And then finally... Okay, now that I know those things, how do I imitate Jesus in my circumstances? Okay, so I want to give you a little bit of homework, and you can thank me later for this homework, okay? Sometime this week, I want you to pick one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, there are four of them. They're small books. You could probably read one of them in an afternoon. But even if you don't feel up for that, just pick one story where Jesus is interacting with someone else, okay? Just another human. 2,000 years ago, we know that Jesus had a conversation with somebody, okay? Then, and this is the crucial part, this is a, an essential part of your homework, you got to allow Jesus to break the fourth wall, okay? Let me tell you what I mean. I remember when I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off for the very first time. Some of y'all are laughing because you know where I'm going with this, okay? Matthew Broderick, who plays this, 
teenager, Ferris Bueller, will be having a conversation with someone and then he turns to the camera and talks to the audience. And I remember, I thought that that was the funniest thing. I, I didn't even know that that was allowed. And I love that Matthew Broderick did that. I probably thought Matthew Broderick invented breaking the fourth wall because he was, he was talking to the audience. He was talking to me. Now, I cannot believe I'm comparing Jesus and Ferris Bueller right now, but Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for that. But the next time, here's what I want you to do with this homework. The next time you get a chance to read a gospel story and you're reading about Jesus and what he did 2,000 years ago, I want you to let Jesus break the fourth wall. Meaning, I want you to think that Jesus is speaking those words directly to you. Not to someone 2,000 years ago. Imagine if you were saying those words to you. So I'm going to put some examples up on the screen. These are some famous phrases that Jesus said. You may have heard them before. But this is what it will be like if you do this homework this week. Whoever is without sin can throw the first stone. What if he said that to you? On the cross, Jesus said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What if he said that to you? When he was walking on water and the disciples were terrified, he said, it is I, don't be afraid. What if he said that to you? He once said, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. What if he said that to me? I think this is one way we make sure we don't pursue Christian goals apart from knowing Jesus. Because we keep returning to his words and we keep returning to the wonders he performed because we want to know him. We want to be able to imitate him and you can't imitate somebody you don't know. You can't speak like he spoke unless you look at his words. You can't love like he loved without seeing the way he loved others. It's impossible. But if we do return to his life, if we do reread over and over again what he did, our life can be modeled on his life. I can't wait to hear about how your homework goes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see throughout this chapter in Philippians, that Christ sets before us a path. Descent and then ascent. Suffering and then glory. Death and then resurrection. And what it took to make that happen was humility. Father, we pray that we would have that same humility, that we would imitate Christ in every way. Father, as we look through the Gospels this week, I pray that you would help me, help all of us, hear Jesus speak to us today. And Father, I pray that we would be changed as a result of that encounter. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.